The Shamrock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Notre Dame ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You can even find tickets to some of the great concerts at Notre Dame Stadium. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome back to the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson from a nondescript apartment building in Ann Arbor, Michigan after Notre Dame's 45-14 humbling uh, loss to Michigan. I, not something that I saw coming at all. It's not like I picked a 10-point win like you, Matt, but um, I think ne- both of us... You picked yeah. a win. You, bet, you better own yeah. it the way I'm going to own it here. Yeah, it, I mean, just it was a shockingly inept from start to finish performance by Notre Dame. Um, the fact that they were on a bye week and and fall break and then put out that performance is i mean is it is it the worst performance of the brian kelly era um i, I was gonna ask it i mean, I mean it's most disappointing it's, to maybe, me it's yeah. worse than miami um you know even though miami was like a pretty crap team as that season proved to you know that had like 25 years of hate uh built up in it you know this is coming to a place that you're familiar with the surroundings are familiar um, Michigan, I don't think is that great. I mean, they're nine and three, eight and four. You know, and I, and even though Notre Dame clearly is, you know, a lot closer to nine and three than eleven and one after tonight. Man, it, I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm questioning yeah, everything about it, these guys after tonight. It was just, it was shocking. Um, I, I, I just can't believe what I was watching. I, Notre Dame was so inept. It, it looked like one team was playing in a rainstorm and the other one wasn't. I'll lead off by saying I was texting with a former Notre Dame student athlete throughout the game. You can call him a player. Texting me, say, uh, well, he wasn't a football oh, okay. player, so, <laughs> so I was intentionally vague there. But there's still other sports to choose from. But he said, uh, I hope the Shamrock covers the quarterback play tonight. I'm at a bar right now, and I've subscribed on 12 different phones to help you guys. <laughs> uh, so we'll get into quarterback play on a Notre Dame student athlete who's not a football player. Uh, former student athlete. Uh, but, you know, Kirk Herbstreit at the end of the broadcast said Notre Dame didn't even show up. He said it was embarrassing. And, I mean, he's a 1,000% right. Yep. I mean, it's inexcusable. I mean, they should walk home in a driving rainstorm to South Penn. I mean, that's a team that Michigan was being begging a competent team to put them out to pasture all season long. And then they just got a pulse tonight and did whatever they wanted to Notre Dame. I mean, that's more points than Michigan scored in a game against anyone other than Rutgers. And even Rutgers, they only scored 52. Um, and they had 21 in the fourth quarter, by the way. I mean, I know 24-7 wasn't like your typical 24-7 game. Like, Notre Dame was up 24-7 in Ann Arbor a few years ago in the fourth quarter and lost. Like, Notre Dame was never going to win that game, down 17 in the fourth quarter. Uh, but even the second and third stringers of Michigan just, just acted like they gave a crap more and put up 21 points in the fourth quarter. I mean – when Michigan fans are yelling overrated at you, when Michigan's Twitter account is trolling you. <laughs> yeah, that was um, bad. I mean, when uh, – who's the offensive lineman on there? Steven Spinellis looks like Quinn and Nelson is going viral for just absolutely pummeling. I couldn't tell Houston who the Griffith. player was. I think it was Jeremiah. Oh, it's Houston. Okay, yeah. that was Jeremiah. I couldn't tell. Um, yeah, I mean, Michigan – like, that was like two years of like, oh, where was that for Michigan fans? And it all came at the expense of an Notre Dame team that, as you said, had – 
two weeks to prepare for this one. And uh, I'm pretty sure the forecast didn't just show up today saying it's going to rain. And it rained for both teams. And they just looked thoroughly unprepared and uninterested. Yeah, it's, I mean, there obviously have been some garbage losses. Uh, you know, in 2016, the, you think about the, the hurricane game at North Carolina State. Like, that was just a, a complete just br- mental disaster from the coaching staff. Um, this was just – this seemed a lot more systemic. Um, and it's like you think about the credibility that Notre Dame – how long it took them to sort of recapture credibility after right. the Miami game. It's two years. You know, are we, are we going to be waiting for Notre Dame to go on the road in 2021 and have this happen again? Because, I mean, that that's how long it's going to take for people to – No, 2033, right. Pete. Did you see yeah. the announcement today? I mean, that's how long it's going to take before Notre Dame – sort of gets over this and I'm not talking about the program I'm talking about the perception of the program from the fan base I don't if you're a Notre Dame fan I'm not sure why you would trust Notre Dame to deliver in a big spot really ever again I agree and you know as I'm you know watching that game unfold and watching you know everyone freak out on Twitter and everything I mean to me and maybe this is just me there's a big difference to me uh, losing by 27 points to Clemson and losing by 31 points to Michigan oh yeah like Clemson, Alabama, like, I know you don't want to hear it. I know it's, like, facing yourself in the mirror. But it's like, yeah, like, those teams are really freaking good. They have better players than you. They have better coaches than you. They care more about football than you. Like, this is what happens on the biggest stage. You cannot say that about Michigan. Like, you just can't. There's nothing Michigan has shown this year uh, to indicate that they're a program that's operating on a different plane than Notre Dame. And uh, for, for that to happen tonight the way it did um, is inexcusable. And yet, I, I can't help but think, like, you know, me and you were the suckers for actually thinking they were going to do this because uh, normally in games like this, or at least in, in disappointing games, especially when you're at home on your couch on Twitter, you're seeing a lot of like people freaking out and getting mad. And like, it, 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 again, you know, Twitter is not exactly a, a, a great science or, or way to gauge the pulse of every fan out there. But everyone I interact with was just kind of resigned. Like, yeah, this is who we are. Like, why, why would we do different? Uh, by the way, I'm watching Washington State just get a game-winning touchdown of the middle left at Oregon. So uh, a lot of top 11 teams are struggling tonight, it would seem. Um, but I ran the numbers you know, during the game because we talk coming into the game about people's road records against ranked teams. And I always think that's misleading, especially when you said you know, two, those two Brian Kelly wins were against Temple and Virginia Tech, who were two teams that were not ranked by the end of the year. So I went back and I looked at Brian Kelly's record on the road against teams that finished ranked at the end of the year. It's not much better. Mm. Um, it's three and twelve, okay. and it was one and three the first three years, which obviously was that Oklahoma win, uh, and it's two and nine in the last. Well, this was going into the season because we don't know what everyone will finish ranked. So uh, it was two and nine from twenty thirteen to twenty eighteen, and um, you know you're, you are what your record says you are in big games. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it was a sad performance in that way because I I guess you know the thing that always I, I had a hard time evaluating this game from the standpoint of that that two and eleven record. And, man, Michigan did not feel like Temple, nor did it feel like Virginia Tech. It felt a lot more like Stanford-Clemson, um, you know, Stanford multiple times, frankly. Um, you know, Miami. It just – I don't know. It, it was bizarre asking Brian Kelly after the game, like, when you have a game where everything needs to get fixed, where you look at the answer to the question of what went wrong, everything – how do you fix that within the season? And for them, for him to sort of like immediately push back about, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't use the term fix because that implies something is broken. I mean, Notre Dame is broken in these big spots. I mean, that's Notre Dame football is, is that not, what he said? The, yeah. I mean, Notre Dame football is not 
this historically is not about like beating Pittsburgh or going on the road at Northwestern. You know, it's it's about winning in big spots. Um, you know, it's it's not like whether the odds are in your favor or like you're a slight favorite. I mean, it's like you it's whether the odds be great or small. Like it, Notre Dame does not play well in these spots. I mean, I I asked like, how do you fix this in season? And his I'll just read his answer to it. So it's like. We feel like this was a game where our team was not who we, who they were. I think what we have to do is find out why we weren't playing the, at that level that they have played for the last two and a half years. That might be more on me. That might be in our on our preparation. That might be in our game plan. And so fixing sometimes sounds like, well, we got to change the way we run our offense or defense or personnel. I would be really cautious in making those kinds of assumptions. It might be as simple as our preparation wasn't what it needed to be over these last two weeks. So, I mean, the notion that there isn't something to be fixed because that implies something is broken. Like, I mean, Notre Dame overall is, is a, is a healthy program, but it's, you know, it's, it's a nine and three, 10 and two healthy program. And that, that's sort of not what Notre Dame wants to be evaluated on. Yeah. Did you ask them what they did during the bye week I mean, you at least went out and, and looked at a recruit who maybe will fix these yeah. things in a couple of years. Although we hear that about every single recruit they've ever gotten. Uh, I mean, I had a tweet out there during the game basically saying, you know, what, what the heck were these guys doing during their break? It must've been fun. I wish I was there because clearly they have a hangover. And uh, Anthony Bartolacci, I want to shout him out here at, at a underscore Bartolacci uh, said, well, if Ian Brooke threw the party, it could have been very successful. Uh, I thought I was going to say it would have been picked off, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah, Ian Brooke looked horrible and Kirk Herbstreit was saying the exact <clears throat> same thing you were saying on Twitter. I mean, multiple plays there were like, Hey, he's wide open. He's not even looking at him. Like, this is a senior quarterback, a two-year starting quarterback, and you know we, we've we've picked him apart a little bit here and there, and we've never really seen it hurt him, hurt the team so much. I mean, Georgia, yeah, they lost the game, and it was a really good team. So obviously, there's stuff you can pick apart at, but I don't think it's you know you would have to be expecting essentially a perfect game against a really good defense to do that tonight. Though, I mean, he and everyone else just looked lost. Yeah, it's 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 very obvious when you watch Ian Book in these sorts of games of like what kind of quarterback he is and he isn't. Like he throws to spots, but he does not throw people open. He the anticipatory throws that require you trusting that the receiver is going to go where you think he's going to go don't happen. And as much as I have been sort of like pushing back on the quarterback regression narrative under Brian Kelly because I think it's I don't know why, I guess, you know, but the evidence tonight suggests that's true, that Ian Book is regressing. Like, I, I thought he was stagnating. That's sort of how I've just been describing him, that he's sort of the same quarterback that we saw last year, and that, and that quarterback's pretty good. Like, this, that's a quarterback who's a top 25 quarterback in the country, but for Notre Dame to get where it ultimately needs to go, it needs a quarterback who can make plays, who can anticipate guys coming open, who can throw – into windows and not just guys who turn around and stop or guys that are running crossing routes that defenses now have figured out and can sit on. So that's, um, that's sort of where they are. I mean, that's the, the, the quarterback play. There are many things that sort of keep Notre Dame ceiling at sort of a 10 and two and 11 and one. And even when they go 12 and zero, it's because the schedule broke a certain way. Uh, and then when they get up against a, a Clemson, you see what happens they need the quarterback to play to be so much better than it is right now. And I, there's not a solution out there. I mean, it's, 
it's kind of one of those things where you hear, you see on Twitter, and like we're talking about in the press box, will they put Dracovic in just for a spark? Well, if they thought Dracovic would give them a spark, they would have put him in much mm-hmm. earlier. And then when he comes in, stumbles, falls down, you know, can can he whip the ball sixty five yards? Yeah. Is he faster than Book? Yeah. But in terms of running the operation, he's just not there yet. So it's, I I come away thinking that okay, okay, you have a starter and quarter starting quarterback in a book. He can't do everything you need him to do. All right. Do you need to, is is the the next step to get somebody in here who can? Is the next step to figure out how you can get him to do more of what you want him to do? But I mean, at this point, I'm not really sure when the next you know, is he going to prove something to people against Virginia Tech, Navy, Boston College, Duke. No, uh, you know, even Stanford is sort of like up for grabs. I mean, that defense is not very good. So I don't. I feel like the have a quarterback who can win a big game on the road opportunity is, is kind of that's come and gone for this season. I, I'm with you, and you know, I I think I speak for most of the fans when I say we're tired of the same song and dance because it's the tenth year of the Brian Kelly <clears throat> regime. I, I feel like we're always hearing about, well, this guy's going to be the one. Just you wait. I mean, I remember when Phil was was getting ready to sign Phil Yurkovich, and at that point, Brandon Wimbush was still uh, Notre Dame starting quarterback, and you know. Uh, plan to be the Notre Dame starting quarterback for the foreseeable future. And, I mean, there are people like, oh, Phil's going to do it. Like, you just wait till we see this guy. And I'm like, well, what about Ian Book? He looked all right in relief. No, no, th- this guy is like the future. You just wait. And then, you know, he spends a few, however many months on campus, and you hear, oh, he's not ready. And uh, now you hear, oh, but Buckner's the best. He, he's going to be there. You know, you just wait a couple of years. It's always about other guys whenever I talk to people in that program. And it's like, you know what? Like, you guys get paid a lot of money to go out and recruit across the country, uh, you should never have a problem getting a quarterback in Notre Dame. You just shouldn't. I know it's not easy. It, it's a cutthroat world recruiting, but uh, it, it shouldn't be that difficult. You have a lot more advantages than most places around the country. And all I hear when talking to people there is, you know, just you wait. Like, this guy's going to be the answer. And I, I'm tired of hearing it. I mean, at this point, it goes in one ear and out the other for me because, uh, you know, we're, we're in year 10 of this regime now. And uh, I think, you know, that narrative, whether it's accurate or not, I mean, it's it's – Definitely something everyone is talking about, right? Yeah. Like, who's the best quarterback that's Notre Dame's had the last decade, and why hasn't he gotten better in year two? And I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer. I mean, I did have a, a good number of, of friends and family members texting throughout the game saying, you know, is this going to be a star of a quarterback controversy? And, I mean, you're closer to everything there than I am, and you were – Oregon just got a game when you field goal, by the way, so forget everything I just said <laughs> uh, about Oregon. But uh, the I, I don't have an answer, and they, they ask about – the fans that I was texting with ask about whether this is going to be the start of a quarterback controversy. And again, I'm not there every day, so I can't say for certain, but I mean, unless something drastically changed from basically week one till now, and somehow Phil Yurkovich is either getting a lot more first team reps or absolutely wilding on second team reps. Uh, I don't think they're anywhere near, um, uh, even having a decision to make, and maybe you've heard differently, but, but no, if I'm no, right, please you're me. not. I mean, uh, and I think a weird way to look at it is this: I think a quarterback controversy would be healthy. You know, it would it would right. be good if they had another option to put out there to change things up, because I mean, the offense feels very stale all of a sudden. And it's like I think even the way they played against USC, the offensive line, who I think overall was fine tonight, they were not the problem to me. That that may have been one of the few units that I thought actually didn't really shrink in the moment. Um, but it's not like Ian Book had a great game against USC. Um, the running game did. 
Tony Jones had a great game against USC, but it's um, it's a, it's it's a difficult spot. I mean, they need something fresh and something different offensively right now. I kind of feel like the, the offense is we know what its limitations are. This is not an offense that can that can win a big game against a, against a top defense. Like, I, and I don't want to say that in the sense of like USC is a big game whether USC is good or is terrible. Like. That's a rivalry game for Notre Dame. So the offense played pretty well, but only on the ground. You know, th- this offense is not one that's going to challenge you vertically with Ian Book as your quarterback. So I don't know if that means you have to rethink your schemes, uh, you know, to be even more horizontal than you already are. I don't know if that's possible. Um, but, I mean, the one of the things that really frustrated me post-game was I asked Brian Kelly, okay, what, what did Michigan do to Cole Komet? He said they bracketed him and took him away. They sort of gave him the Michael Pittman treatment that Notre Dame gave USC's star receiver last week where they effectively did take him away. Well, when Notre Dame did that to Michael Pittman, that opened it up for Amon Ross St. Brown or Marquis Stepp or Tyler Vaughns or their tight end um, or Stephen Carr. When Michigan took away Cole Komet, it was Chase Claypool and that was it. Like, so was there mm-hmm. nothing else open? Like, was Javon McKinley not running open to the right side of Ian Book? Because I'm pretty sure that's what the replay showed in the first half. Um, was Chris Fink never open? I, I know that's not true, too, because I watched him, and, like, Ian Book would just not see him. So there's the fact that I'm not saying that Notre Dame has Alabama's receivers and everybody is open all the time, but there are guys who are open sometimes. And it's it's bizarre to me that uh, a senior quarterback who has played a lot of good football over the last year is not seeing him in an environment like this. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SHAMROCK. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code SHAMROCK. Don't forget that's promo code SHAMROCK for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Speaking of receivers, uh, in one of the more perplexing Friday news dumps, or not dumps, but, you know, stories to break uh michael young choosing to redshirt and transfer uh according to multiple sources after three games like we talked about this a little bit af- afterward like what is the situation there where like the guy can't play one more game in the biggest game of the year on the road in this environment and then quit the team or, or put your name in transfer transfer portal or whatever it is like what 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 is going on there and i, I, I see that drop on a friday and that just spells good news for me. I don't say that to say like, oh yeah, I knew they were going to get run off the field, but like that, that's just a bad vibe to get out of a program the night before a big game. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember a time when a Notre Dame player quit before a road game at Michigan and then Notre Dame was blown out by 30 points. Um, we've come a while from, from Demetrius Jones in, 20, in 2007. it's no. uh, way before yes, my time, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a much more of a uh, shit show than what this was, but you know the Michael Young situation. Brian Kelly was asked. He said we did not. He did not make the trip with us. We will have a discussion about his status with our team moving forward. The implication to me, based on the quote and checking in with sources around the program, is that the team will decide whether he's allowed back on the team, not Michael Young. So that when you get to that point of the situation, 
that's a I think a you can leave take care um, for him to to do this while he could still redshirt he could have played tonight at Michigan and maintained that redshirt could have done the exact same thing I think is a pretty brutal look uh, to your teammates so it's I, I'm not really sure what to read into that I mean I think there's been a lot of discussion about players in the transfer portal as I was in the press box. Michigan State was on against Penn State, and I think they had mm-hmm. six or seven kids in the transfer portal. This is really the first one from Notre Dame since the season started. Like I think that's probably a it's probably a winning number, um, if you're if you're battling transfer portal problems. Um, but it's it's not a good look when look, was he was he a starting receiver? Yes, but he was the eleventh guy on on an eleven man offense. Notre Dame can replace him yet. You know, I sit here and say that when Braden Le- can they? Braden I mean, Lindsay they had like one. They had anyone competent yeah, there tonight? Braden yeah, Braden Lindsay had one touch for one yard. Um, that was that was pretty alarming. Um, you know, Michael Young had been averaging two yards a target, so it's not like he'd been a a breakout player when he was on the field. But um, it's not for an offense that seems to lack weapons. Michael Young could at least maybe sort of been a weapon for you, so that that hurts you. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's not helping solve a problem that's already there you very able to talk to two whole players and i i mean what was their uh vibe after the game um, was that at a podium or did you able to no it's podium um conversation yes yeah, podium so it was not normal conversation uh we heard a ton about identity and standard so clearly that was a big talking point from Brian Kelly in the locker room afterwards. And I mean, those, as I wrote, I was like, those talking points sort of felt like life rafts when they were on the podium. Cause they didn't have anything to say. There was no insight about what happened, why it happened, how they're going to stop it from happening again. Um, Cause frankly, when the head coach comes in 15 minutes later, he doesn't have any answers for that either. So it's a, it's a program that I think is going to do quite a bit of soul searching the rest of the season. And it's, I mean, that's the thing about these kinds of games. Like, if Notre Dame had lost 27-24, it wouldn't be an identity crisis. I don't right. think we'd be asking questions of, like, why Notre Dame can never win these games. Um, you know, we we <clears throat> given them a, a six-week victory lap for almost beating Georgia. I mean, right. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, it just, I mean, it would have a com- completely different story. So it's, it's not just about winning and losing. It's the fact that you got embarrassed on the road against one of your most bitter rivals that, again, like you said, is trolling you on Twitter immediately after the game. Um, it's it's not a good – it's just not a good place to be. And I don't – it's one of those things where this is the kind of loss that not only undoes so much of your good work during the season, it's going to hang over you the entire offseason. This is a loss that the, the full autopsy of it cannot be performed until January, February, March, April, uh, next summer with Matt Bayless. Um, and I think I, and, and in that sense, I sort of give Brian Kelly not a pass, but at least a bit of understanding that he can't get up there after the game and say like, I know how I'm going to change the off season based immediately after one game in late October. But if, if we're talking about this in January and he says, Oh, you know, Michigan, it was just a blip. You know that's not something that is ever going to happen again. Not our true identity. To me, that that would be a that would be probably a, as big an alarm as the box score that I'm staring at right now. Well, that's I mean, yeah, maybe I'm speaking you know uh, 
under the hashtag of stuff only sports writers care about, but like that's why I'd love to hear from the starting yeah. quarterback because we're not going to ask him those questions. We're going to ask why didn't you play well or what were you seeing out Who there? Who was the captain? And instead, we're all talking for him and everyone else is talking for him, and now there's all this skepticism. And I, I don't know if it was his decision not to talk or not. I would guess not because usually the uh, adults make these decisions uh, for college kids, and I don't think they do them any service, especially when you're a two-year senior starter. Uh, but that's the situation they, they find themselves in right now. I mean, it's just – uh, a program where, you know, we've talked about this candidly off air, but I mean, I don't say this to draw a connection between like this and how poorly they play tonight, but um, it's a program that really lacks star power. Like there's no national names on this Notre Dame team, which until tonight we thought was a possible 11-1 outfit that was going to contend for the playoff. It's um, just been a really weird, almost like, I wouldn't say boring, but like, I don't know. I mean, you look at like the 2012 team, the 2015 team, even last year's team that, that we all covered. And 2017, you know, there were more so star many, power than this team. 2017, I mean, so many dynamic guys who, you know, were, were just so interesting to talk to because you just learned so much from them. And, you know, the, the fans got to see that too. And, you know, even behind the scenes, you'd hear stories. I mean, uh, when 2016 started spiraling out of control, I talked to someone in that building. Uh, and they said, you know, I, I love the players on this team. They're all good kids. But, like, our captains this year, one are more quieter than the other or more quiet than yeah. the other. And, like, that's just not going to work at a place that plays a schedule we do. You know, and they gave an example of um, – this probably will surprise no one, but they gave the example of 2015 uh, in the middle of training camp at the end of a practice. Joe Schmidt calls the whole team to midfield and makes them all pledge to not go out on a Thursday of a game week for 15 straight weeks or however long the season was. And they're all in like, maybe they have that person on that roster, but I have no freaking clue who it is. If they, if they do. Yeah. It's like, I think Alohi Gilman is close to that person. Um, that's sort of a lot to put on him. I think Jalen Elliott is close, but I mean, we're not, and it's, it really goes back to the Louisville game. Like your captains and your seniors need to be your best players. Right. Julian acquire two tackles, no tackles for loss. Khalid Kareem, four tackles, Half tackle for loss. Alohi Gilman had that PI, which was bad. Uh, Jalen Elliott, I, two tackles. At, I mean, that's not a good situation either. Ian Book obviously struggled. Chris Fink, basically anonymous. Robert Hainsey had a holding penalty, I believe. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he played great by any stretch of the imagination. It's like how there there are no good teams that have good seasons. When their best players aren't consistently great, like and, and Notre Dame's best players have not been consistently great. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I, don't, I would sit there and say all seven captains really struggled tonight. Um, that's that's a recipe. That's how you get to forty five fourteen, where when nobody can stand up and right. do something. Right, right. Um, leave you with a number that it didn't even occur to my mind, but someone texted me after thirty one. Um, we heard a lot of chatter about 31 nothing in 2014 when Notre Dame won for what was believed to be the last ever game against Michigan. And until a few hours beforehand today, we thought today would be the last game against Michigan, and Michigan wins by 31. I mean, these teams, uh, they know how to really stick it to the other um, when they're going to say goodbye for a while. And um, fortunately, that looks like that's going to be the case. I thought yes, I got wind yesterday that something might have been up and i saw the email for michigan saying they moved around some schedules and they had some openings in 2022 and 2023 and i thought hmm maybe they'll get Notre Dame on the schedule here despite the fact Notre Dame was playing i think clemson and ohio state in one of those years but uh no we got 
2033, right, and 34, so our kids will uh, be bleeding us dry with tuition dollars if they have the brains to get into Notre Dame. No, Tate's on, um, no, Tate's on scholarship, yeah. man. He's he's on he's on okay, the team right. scholarship let's right. when we sell this podcast yes. after you know we ascend to number one on yeah. the charts we'll we'll be swimming in money so Col- he's going to be uh, a, sco- he's gonna be a scholarship long snapper so it'll be <laughs> it's gonna be fun to cover my son actually playing in the Notre Dame michigan rivalry down the road it's uh yeah it's just man it um i really thought notre dame had sort of matured out of this kind of game um yeah you know, I, I would sort of describe it as you know, it's not immature. It's kind of like a juvenile performance where they they really shrunk in the spotlight tonight. And that's, I there there weren't a lot of things that I trusted about Notre Dame, like wholeheartedly. But I I thought this was going to be a mature group where like the worst thing that right. could have happened was a replay of the Georgia game, not this, like not right. not a Weiss performance, Willingham performance type of game. Um, and I honestly, I just I do not know what to make of that because it's it's something that's like kind of go back to this like, are you going to do anything against Virginia Tech, Duke, Navy, Boston College, or Stanford that is going to make you believe anything differently than what you saw tonight? Mm-hmm. I think it's almost impossible to ask. Uh, I and I, I had the same questions after the Miami game in seventeen. I wrote a column about that after they lost to Stanford. Kind of like, okay, now what? And then of course they go twelve and zero the next year and make the playoff. But like. I think the point still stands like i have the same reaction even though it was a different game and different performance uh now two years later probably even more so now because you thought they had matured out of it um i just you know i you know now what i don't know that's a great i mean it's 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 kind of one of those things where like is something broken is it not like is this it's i, I think there's a, a lot of times Notre Dame runs into these kinds of performance and you sit there and think like all right is this uh is this as good as it gets is ten and two as good as this is gonna get? Is if you go twelve and zero, are you just gonna get smoked in the playoff, Alabama or Clemson style? Like, I mean, it's it, it's a fair question to ask, is it not? <laughs> and I, I'm laughing to myself right now because you know we're recording this pretty late at night, and all the geni- genii geniuses, whatever, are on Twitter right now. And uh, <laughs> I went on Andy's podcast Friday. Uh, or yeah, Friday, um, and we got to preview in this game. And I said, you know, we we're talking about the future of Michigan and uh, what that holds for Jim Harbaugh. And I said, look, you know, say what you want about Michigan, but if Urban Meyer was coaching them. This wouldn't be happening. They'd be the best team in the Big Ten. And Andy uh, said, if Brian Kelly was coaching Michigan, they'd be the best team in the Big Ten. And I believe our intrepid pr- producer John Hayes teased those two quotes. Ooh. And uh, Andy's getting a lot of it from Michigan fans right now, <laughs> deservedly so. <clears throat> uh, after tonight's performance. Um, but, I mean, I think that goes to our point we made throughout this podcast. Like, we didn't see this coming. No. And it makes – I mean, we look like idiots for picking our name to win. But, like, uh, it's kind of one of those things you didn't see it <laughs> yeah. coming, and they're like, how could you have not seen it coming? Isn't it? Like, I, it's not that I – USC uh, in 14 was the quote-unquote red-letter game, and I absolutely saw that coming. I yeah. think everyone saw it coming. That team was broken by the end of the year. This team? No. I mean, it came off a bye. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? what – yeah, what the happened? bye was part of it. The Penn State was part of it, and it's like that's why it was so different than the uh, the the Miami game to me, at least. Was you were walking into a rat's a snake pit uh, it, with venom that I have n- I've never seen or felt from another crowd ever in 19 years covering Notre Dame football. Like that that was a, the perfect storm kind of situation. This was just a game. And even that. This was just a game you well, were playing. Well, even that, though. I mean, there were fissures in that team 
that were I think were eventually going to come out and they were going to lose one or yeah. two. And I don't. That's not to say that I knew they'd get blown out by <laughs> what ended up being a good but not great Miami team. But like some of the stuff that happened that night was stuff that I, I'm sure you as well had heard from people in that program. Like were weaknesses that were eventually going to come right. out, um, eventually. And you know, I didn't. Maybe you know I could read the tea leaves in hindsight, but I, I can try my best. And I can't say I saw that coming here again. <laughs> They lose the game, they lose the game. When they get laughed off the field, um, that's something entirely different. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to make sense of. You know, Brian Kelly's got his <laughs> less than twelve hours from now. I will be on Brian Kelly's teleconference on Sunday afternoon, as it's now two thirty a.m. Uh, Sunday morning. But it's, I don't know. It, it's going to be very difficult for him to avoid big picture questions, and he can dismiss them all he wants. But it and. It, <sighs> It's just a difficult. Hey, you know what, Pete? Oh. Hey, speaking of that conference, last time Michigan beat a team this badly, they fired their coach the next day. So, are you, do you think Brian <laughs> Kelly would give him such a teleconference on Sunday? These are these are interesting questions that I had not thought about. Interim coach Nunzio Campanelli uh, at Notre Dame. Can't wait to see it. Bob Diaco would really be offended. Oh my then. god! I don't want to think about it. It's uh, it's very very strange night in Ann Arbor. No doubt. No uh, no getting around it. I mean, it, I get, You know what? We have sort of hammered on the offense a little bit before we get out of here. Defensively, what was yeah. that? They gave up 303 yards rushing, which I believe is the – it's either the Brian Kelly high for 10 years or at least the Brian Kelly high against non-Navy teams. What was that about? What was the Bam, what was the Bama game in 2012? That couldn't have been. Uh, I don't think they got to 300. Well, Okay. That's nice of them. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, yikes, I don't know what to say to that. It, it was um, for all the talk we've done about how great these coordinators have been, and I mean, I still think they've done a really good job overall body work for two plus years. Um, I think we can cool a little bit of the talk uh, about like these guys leaving tomorrow for head coaching jobs, which could still happen at the end of the year. I don't want to overreact, but. Um, We've given these guys a lot of credit in tonight's tonight to not do that. Uh, by the way, the Alabama game was two hundred. Yeah, I just pulled that up yards. myself. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, Clark Lee did not have the answers tonight. I didn't. I didn't understand what they were trying to do in the first half against the run. Uh, two safeties back in a driving rainstorm did not make a lot of sense when the other quarterback can't throw. Um, I, I don't understand that one. It's a. Uh, it's a mystery. They didn't tackle all that well. Um, also, you know, one other thing I want to throw in. The officiating was I, – I, this is not a, a non-explicit podcast, so I'll serve. It was just not very good. <laughs> it was, it, was, no, it, it was dog crap. Um, that – and it's uh, – I mean, they had the, the PI against Cole Komet or on the, the pass to Cole Komet that was picked off that was clearly not a PI – then, yeah, then you have the PI against Crawford. You have a PI against Pride. You have a holding that's not called against Jalen Elliott on the very next series. Like it was, a, it was officiating crew that was overmatched by the moment, which is just sort of inexcusable at this level. Um, you know, they, Notre Dame actually sort of ran into this against USC as well. Um, the official couldn't even properly use his microphone. He was announ- he was announcing all like he was not announcing any penalties because he had clicked his mic off. And then when he's done announcing the penalty, he clicked it back on. So then we could hear all the uh, chatter between the officials and blowing his whistle at like 170 decibels in the press box. It was it was quite something. It was quite something. Finally, somebody came out and told him, 
I think early, late in the third quarter, they're like, hey, you've double-clicked your microphone. You're actually announcing when you think you're not, and you're not announcing when you think you are. So it was, uh, it was a comedy of errors all over so the place. So he won't be on our podcast. No, no, he definitely won't be on the podcast. It was not a, not a, not a good night for the, uh, for the officials on top of Notre Dame's offense, Notre Dame's defense, and Notre Dame's special teams. So. Matt, is there is there anything else you'd like to I, chime in now that we've sort of covered? No, I think that's a okay. pretty uh, pretty good way to sum it up and leave it at that. No. Yeah, I, I think so. So now that we've uh, passed two thirty in the morning, I think that we're going to wrap up this uh, reaction podcast to Michigan forty five, Notre Dame fourteen. Uh, we will be back on Thursday. I'm not sure who we will have as a guest uh, as we look ahead to Virginia Tech. Maybe we'll have uh, our colleague Andy Bitter on from the Athletic, who is uh, covered. I think. A, a very up and down program over the last last few years as well so uh, until then he's Matt Fortuna I'm Pete Sampson on a couch in Ann Arbor and you've been listening to the Shamrock thanks again thanks again